Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I hope you guys are well. I hope you've had a good week. I don't know what's going to happen to our country, but I promise you Sirius XM Progress will be here bringing you sanity, truth, facts, and hope, no matter what. Um, special shout-out to Ringo Starr for some really amazing drumming on She Said, She Said, a song written by John Lennon with assistance from George Harrison. This is a great song, and it's actually based on a true acid experience they had with Peter Fonda. During an LSD trip in August 1965, the Beatles and the Birds were all hanging out. When Fonda came on the show before he passed, I asked him about this. And he walked up to John Lennon and said, I know what it's like to be dead. And because John was also tripping his face off, he turned that into She Said, She Said. It was the last track recorded for Revolver. Due to an agreement over the song's musical arrangement, Paul McCartney actually walked out of the studio, and he does not appear in any way on that song. But She Said, She Said was recorded by the police on the 21st of June, 56 years ago today in 1966. What, Chris? You Freudian slipped and said the police. Did I say the police? My God. Wow. They're basically the same band, the police and the Beatles. No, that was the Beatles, not, in fact, the police. Sting wrote some catchy ditties, but I, not that good. I like to imagine just some uh, some good old-fashioned New York beat cops sitting around the <laughs> studio writing that song. I, just let's imagine they were a British power trio led I, by a guy with bleach blonde hair. You know, that's funny. Acid came up again because I was thinking about what Dave and Washington said, and I think I would let somebody give me electroshock therapy if it meant that I could get some really good, pure, you know, first edition LSD. I think I do. I think I would do that. I think it's worth it. <laughs> I don't know? know. I guess. Ready, I mean, if there's MK Ultra, if you're out there, holler at me. I, I always wonder if it was the electroshock therapy that that made uh, Lou Reed such a great, such a great songwriter because his parents really did it to him. Hey, by the way, uh, you know, we've been talking about these hearings, the January 6th hearings and how powerful they were, but there is one expert we haven't actually checked in with yet, and that would be former president and star of the hearings, Donald Trump. He told a rally 
of trained puppets this weekend that the January 6th committee, which is, of course, fact-driven and bipartisan, is unfair and partisan. It's a rigged deal. It's a disgrace, and it's never happened in the history of our country where we didn't have any, we have no representation. They say, oh, they have Republicans. Who are they? Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, the crier. He cries every time he speaks. This guy's got a mental disorder. He cries every time this guy gets up to speak. He starts crying. I said, there's something wrong with that guy. These are our representatives. Oh, homeboy's unraveling. Sounds like they're getting to him. What do you guys think? I mean, Liz Cheney is a Republican. Adam Kinzinger is a Republican. They support all the same shitty regressive policies Trump supported. They're fine with putting women in jail for abortion. They want to ignore climate science. They are fine with giving billionaires an even deeper tax cut. Yes, all the way, they are as morally corrupt as Trump, except they won't lie for Trump. And you know who else won't lie for Trump? A guy who was his loyal winged monkey for years, Mike Pence. But of course, Mike Pence is a traitor because he refused to be a traitor. Let me play one more. Here's Donald Trump mocking his brutally obedient Mike Pence as a fearful, useless cog in a crooked political machine. But Mike was afraid of whatever he was afraid of. But as you heard a year and a half ago, Mike Pence had absolutely no choice but to be a human conveyor belt. Here's a human conveyor belt. Even if the votes were fraudulent, they said he had to send the votes, couldn't do anything. I said, well, what happens when you have more votes than you had voters? Doesn't matter. Can I just say, uh, it takes a special amount of chutzpah when there's hearings on every other day showing that your lie is a lie to go out there and push the lie to a smaller audience. Well played. You know what? I need to talk to a woman who knows a thing or two about insane white men having mental breakdowns who think they're more clever than they are. Leanne Lord is a brilliant comic and author from here in New York. She's played all over the world. You've seen her on Fox News, VH1, MSNBC. You probably know her from her many appearances co-hosting Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk podcast, or maybe you saw her in Showtime's intensely great funny women of a certain age, both the special and the tour. Ms. Lord, welcome back. Thank you. A pleasure to be back. You guys are sort of my my island, my my lifeboat of sanity in the week. So thank wow. you for being my, my anchor. If we're your <laughs> lifeboat of sanity for the week, you've got levels of trauma that I can't even speak. I do. I'm an American. I'm an adult American black woman in this country trying to make it through. But you guys, you somehow parse it out and make it OK. Or at least <laughs> at least I can hang on until next Tuesday. <laughs> well, it's great having you back, Ms. Lord. How are the uh, how how, is, how have you been? How's the performing going? Uh, performing has actually been great. I had I did that thing that New York comics do on Friday. I had three shows, and which sounds great in theory, but then there's the logistics since we haven't you know invented the transporter yet. <laughs> but, but luckily, the planets aligned. The audiences were great. Um, I got a chance to go to the Schomburg over the weekend. They had a wonderful book fair and it was, oh, it was just delightful. It was if the world wasn't burning. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I don't know. Are you following these hearings, Leon? They're, they've been increasingly gripping and, uh, and quite incredible. I, I made the decision not to sit and have it consume my day. Okay. Uh, but I am getting, of course, the highlights. Anytime you sign on to social media or, or log on and get any 
anything other than news, you still get news. And so uh, people have been sending me or I've been seeing the clips and I watched um, the, the woman, I, I'm sorry, I can't call her name, her and her mom being sort of targeted, named and targeted. And you realize how absolutely wretched that is. And then to have the mob, you know, some combination of Shirley Jackson's lottery and, and you know, uh, the, the French Revolution and, you know, just pitchforking innocent people. And it's like, but how is this possible? And where yeah. do you go? What do you do? How do you, what, how is she, she to leave her house for two months? Where do you go? Where do you, right? I, I mean, you, you, when you can't, who, the people who can afford a security team, that's Hollywood type stuff. That's, you know, that's I, I, resources, I, that's wealth. I want I want to I want to play a brief clip of this. We played this earlier in the first hour, but I want to I want to play this one little clip again because it's just it's so true what you're saying. And we've never seen, you know, this sort of thing happen to a citizen who's being bullied by the president of the US. The the Democrats I always criticize and they're fond of saying, "Oh, people are being prevented from voting at the polls." But I'm always like, "Why are you Democrats telling me this? Let's hear from the people who tried to vote and couldn't." By the same token, we're always heard about all this abuse election workers face. But today we actually got to hear from a real election worker. And Leanne, every the reason why it's bipartisan, these hearings, is that every guest, every every person who's been interviewed, everyone giving testimony has been, every witness so far has been a Republican until the second panel this afternoon when Georgia election worker Shea Moss revealed the mental, emotional, and physical fallout of Donald Trump focusing the hatred of MAGA on her and her family. Give a quick listen to A3. Ms. Moss, how has this experience of being targeted by the former president and his allies affected your life? It's turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. I've gained about 60 pounds. I just don't do nothing anymore. I don't want to go anywhere. I second guess everything that I do. Um, it's affecting my life in a, in a major way. In every way. All because of lies. For me doing my job. Same thing I've been doing forever. I thought it was such a powerful moment and to hear firsthand the lies of Rudy Giuliani, who, and I know Giuliani has to be racist. I know that's part of the contract, but to him actually say that she and her mom were delivering fake votes via USB ports mm -hmm. as if they were heroin or cocaine. He had to throw in the heroin or cocaine when talking about I these black that. women. And of yeah, course it yeah. was all a lie. You know, there were um, two phrases that chilled me. I mean, it was all very horrible, but there were two phrases that just sent a really, really cold chill to the marrow for me. It's when they were talking about, these folks that showed up to her grandmother's house to do a quote, citizen's arrest. And what that phrase really means historically, that they, that was a lynch mob, you know, and that's real, that history is not necessarily just history for us. 
Um, it was absolutely frightening that that happened. And then that goes right with the, the second phrase that someone said, you're lucky it's 2020 and not 1920, which tells me that these people are very aware of the history that they're fighting hard not to teach in schools. Yep. They know exactly what it is. And that it just, it breaks my heart and my spirit a little bit, a lot of it, I, I should say. I mean, I don't, it's frightening to be here now. You know, this, I, yeah. I really didn't think things could get worse <laughs> since 2016. And it just, like, this dude won't shut up. He won't stop. He's he won't. He won't. On the foolishness. And he's leading this Pied Piper parade of insane people who will compromise dignity, compassion, sanity, and democracy to Boom. follow this idiot. Preach. Yes. And he's doubling down on it. Every day we see more and more proof of his corruption, his evil, his lies. And he just goes out and spreads the lies more and keeps the speech going. I, I want to play one more clip, Leanne. This is on, on Newsmax, just so you know. Mm -hmm. It's a summit. Here's Trump praising the behavior and, of course, the size of the crowd. Be praising the behavior and size of the crowd at the January 6th protest. It was the largest group, I think, that I've ever seen or made a speech to. I've never seen anything like it. And they, they were well-behaved. So many, so many people. Nobody ever talks about that. So it's, uh, it's a very sad time for our country. Our country is doing very badly. It's doing badly, I think, in every respect. I don't think it's ever been so low. And we're in great danger of a world war. What? What? I, 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 wow. Yeah. What I got from this, Leanne, was that Trump is done. He's done like disco. I've been holding on to hope that he would run for president again because I think he's the Republican that an 85-year-old Joe Biden could most easily beat. And I think that he's unelectable after January 6th. And I'll be honest, I, I want to watch him lose the popular vote a third time. But after today oh, and wow. the way he's tried to defend himself and how he seems to just be melting down mentally, I, I think he's done. You know, I, I wish I had your faith in your optimism because we didn't think he could win in 2016 and he did. And I'm yeah. just really not willing to risk the closet people who lie to pollsters and those people who truly believe in him and think that he is the way to some sort of restoration of, of, of what this country used to be or some sort of, you know, grievance you know, to be to be handled because there's a lot of anger, um, misplaced anger here. And he seems to represent that. And I don't want to give that another foothold. I really don't. We can't afford it. Leanne, we got to take a quick break. Can you stick around to the top of the hour? Yes, I can. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's go to the phones. We have a lot of people who still want to weigh in. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Sila in Texas, welcome. You're on with Leanne. Hey, John. Um, I, I just, I, I have, I wanted to, to speak to Ms. Moss and Lady Ruby because I spoke to, I spoke about it before and that they are the reason why I didn't work the polls for the first time in a billion years. Um, this past primary and I just, you know, in my own personal life, I couldn't deal with the shit that they just had to deal with. And I know they didn't expect mm-hmm. it and bless their heart because you think when you're working the polls, you're doing a good thing and you are, yeah, you're doing you a are. great thing. Yeah. And I, it just broke my heart. You know, when I first heard of this, and, I, and I've, I've had them on my mind for a long, long time, and oh my God, you know, what in the hell is wrong with this country? We have got to like center ourselves. We can't, we can't do this. Yep. You know, yeah. um, we really can't. Um, it, it, we can't sustain this. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And but I again, just, I want you to I want I, you to remember. I want you to remember something. Think about all the people who are going to be inspired to actually push back against this. Think about all the people who are going to show up to I, vote because they're so offended by hearing how these women were treated. I hope that is the only thing that makes my heart full is to fe- to think about the people that hear this and go, "Oh my God, you know what the fucking fuck, you know what is going yeah. on here." And they go out and they vote in the midterms because they're like, holy shit, what the hell's going on? You know, because that's how I I feel about it. And I I have been, I I drowned myself in politics the last 40 years. And that's all I can hope for is that people take this as it is and as it comes and hear it. And, you know, it hits their brain the same way it does mine. It's like shit what the hell you know exactly. and we don't want to live in a country like that so come on people let's, well let's do it listen like i said began the show saying they are only going to win if we let them thank you Sila. Yeah. thank you very much for calling i mean that's that's the thing leanne i was just like my god the patriotism of this woman that that she actually devoted herself to the one of the most thankless gigs in the world being an election worker only to have yeah. all this happen to her because again what do they hate more than black women democracy we're, we're up there. We're one and the same, uh, to be honest with you. You know, I, I, I love Sheila's point. You know, with, it makes me worry, though, because she watched and was filled with compassion and, and you know, righteous anger. I, I'm worried about those people that watched and, and weren't. Like, what are they thinking? Like, who, who are the people who are watching this going, oh, that's not real. They deserved it. I'd do it again. Like, what? That, that's what makes me nervous. Like why? And, yep. and another argument for why we should have a comprehensive national mental health care plan. 
Um, and maybe if people weren't afraid of for their actual basic income, they wouldn't have the room to have all this anger. And hate. Exactly right. Hey, let's say hello to Charles in Miami. Charles, good evening. You're on with Leanne. Hey, Charles. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. How you doing, Leanne? I'm very good, my dear. How are you? Oh, just hanging in there. Um, I guess I got mm-hmm. a couple of things to say. Starting off first with um, when you started about, you were talking really about Merrick Garland. Yeah. And I think I guess the guy was saying we should get rid of him, but I don't. I can't leave everything in Merrick Garland's hands anymore. I mean, today we haven't left everything in his hands. We haven't left anything in his hands at all. But go ahead. Well, I mean, as far as um, putting the blame on him or, or just saying he has to resign, I think it's up to, um, at this point, um, it's up to Biden. It's up to Biden to say, um, I mean, I know he wanted to. Biden can't. Just, Biden can't do it. Can't do it. Biden couldn't, he couldn't, yeah. like, penalize Merrick Gar- Biden can't be seen as trying to punitively punish his predecessor, which is hard to say fast. But, but he can't be. He needs an independent DOJ to do it. He can't do it. You know, at this point, damn that. This, these are not normal times. If it was normal times, yes. But can't you see from the January 6th hearings that these are not normal times? So we shouldn't be going about this as usual. And I think that's why we fall into this lull as Democrats. That's why people are not up in arms about what the hell is going on. Because, I mean, it, it, we're trying to pacify it as, as a normal behavior. No, hell no. It's time that he's either Biden say, all right, Merrick Garland, do your job or, or get the hell out. And he also needs to, um, you know, get to the Supreme Court. I heard the Supreme Court um, ruling today, and I'm like, wait a minute. One of the fundamentals, I think, of growing up in what I did, right after the Civil Rights Movement, I felt like I got the best education possible that a black person could get at that time because of the emphasis they made on, on education. And also, we got to integrate people because basically after the 50s, it still took 10 years to integrate schools in the South. And what I'm saying is once you once um, you start homeschooling or you start, um, you know, giving these vouchers to these small schools and stuff, these Christian um, schools, we're going to have segregation all over again. Or at least we won't be able to integrate students where I feel like these were our allies. Yeah. And we really needed them to come out with George Floyd. And um, on, on, on another another thing. Um, oh, man, I'm all cut up. <laughs> but, well, Leanne, do you want to respond to anything that uh, Charles has laid down? In? Um, I do. You know, the, the impulse to fight fire with fire is very strong. And, and I, I feel that. I absolutely feel that. But our rules and our ethics and our values are absolutely in place for the hard times. That's when, that's when you are supposed to cling to them the most. You know, it's... If I had a family member, and I did have a family member who was murdered, you know, you want to then, death penalty for everybody. And it's, that's when the cooler mind should prevail and go, that's not who we are. That's not who what we do. And I know I am talking about press release America and not real America. But if, if we're not going to strive for something, what are we doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but if you don't mind, this is what I this is this was one of my points too, because the Republicans have made it a point to deify the presidency, right? They can do all the crap they want to do, and basically get away with it if the, you know whether they steal the election or not. But they because they have the presidency and their power, so 
what I'm saying is we need to bring the people, the power back to the people. We need to circumvent anything that's going to make them have a king. If, yeah. if you understand what I'm trying to say. You I know, do. I hear what you're saying. And they're using the media. They're using Fox News. Fox News should also be on trial right now. They're the ones that... I agree. I said it before. They was advocating for... Unpe- I mean, for, um, they were saying Obama had a, um, I guess, a not-so-peaceful ch- transfer of power with Trump, and they was asking for the same thing again. So the media codifies everything that, that these Republicans are doing, and, they, and they're using this, this, um, this, they're using the presidency as, you know, like some imperial power where everybody else don't have anything to say. It doesn't matter. And that's what I'm saying. This is, that's the fight to me. Yeah. Thank you. I thank you very much for the call. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank you. Wow. (sighs) I'll tell you, Leanne, I, it's like, it's like caring this much does hurt, doesn't it? I mean, there's times when I just wish that I could just watch the Kardashians and be a normal American. Well, you know, in, in the middle of watching the video clips of testimony and, and seeing the headlines, I went and watched um, the taking of Pelham 123. <laughs> the, ori- the original or the remake? Original the or remake? Original. I, with I, Walter I, Matthau. I awesome. The, yes, the original was Walter Matthau. Because they are actually very different movies. In yes, they are. So I said, yes. let me just, you know, submerge. So it was nice to see some of the older actors. You know, it's really sad when hijacking and murder is your comfort place. Oh, listen, I watch <laughs> Ozark when I need some beach reading. You know what I mean? Yeah, it relaxes oh, me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we are very damaged people, John. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get one more call in before the break. Dave in Pittsburgh, thanks for your patience. Hey, John. Hello, Leanne. Hey, Dave. Uh, it was 42 years ago yesterday that the Blues Brothers came out. Wow. And I'm wondering here... Blues Brothers are gay? Where is the line between... Cultural appropriation and heartfelt homage. And I talked a little bit with um, Thea about it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Ooh, I think the line is how well you pull it off. I mean, right? you have the Blues Brothers did it with uh, their movie and their album. Yes, you were now, even that, you know. Now, now again, there, there, I mean, there were a lot of, of uh, African American musicians in that movie. A lot, mm-hmm. and it was a celebration oh, yeah. of black music. It wasn't like they were trying to pass it off as their own. But uh, uh, okay, I, I think I, I think the line, Leanne, is if you can pull it off, then you then you've done it. If you can't, then you will get called out for appropriation. I, what do I you think? Just add to that. I absolutely agree with what you said. And the only thing I would add is that if you if you pull it off and you give credit where credit is due. Yeah, and you know, that's I what, didn't kind of what Thea said too was you know if you give credit for it then it's not appropriation. If you try to pass it off as your own, you know, you say, hey, this is something that, you know, Robert Johnson did back in the 30s. I'm bringing it up to today. That's one thing. If you just pass off like, this is me, that's something totally different. Yeah. Well, we agree. And uh, also... And by the uh, way, I'm going to tell you something else. There's a lot of white people that were really turned on to a lot of great music because they learned it first in the Blues Brothers. And Especially from kids. Vaughan, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, this day in 48... Uh, they brought out this new single device. It was a vinyl disc that rotated at 33 and a third RPM. Sounds, There's one sounds, for you for your musical history. I didn't even have that. Sounds very prehistoric, <laughs> but it sounds <laughs> awesome. And someday I'll be rich enough to afford to buy vinyl. So that's the nice thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I know it's making a comeback because of the sound. 
I hear you. I'm still here waiting for cassette tapes to come back. It's going to happen. Trust me. It will happen at some point. They're back. Uh, Dave, thank you for the call. Uh, happy 78th birthday to the great Ray Davies of the Kinks. We had Dave Davies on a couple of years ago, and he said they were working on that comeback album. We're still waiting for it. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is very special for me. The first time Gilbert Gottfried, the funniest man on the planet, who left us two months ago, the first time Gilbert ever did this show was to join us with Frank Santapadre to talk about their amazing Colossal podcast. And uh, after that, we were lucky to have uh, Frank a couple times on his own, and we had Gilbert back several times. Uh, and we've been replaying our Gilbert Gottfried appearances on the show since we lost him. We've lost some great comics in the last year, including Norm and, 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 and Saget and, and Louie. But Gilbert was just someone who was so unbearably funny and, uh, and just a shaman of wit that I've been wanting to get Frank back uh, at the funeral. Frank gave the final eulogy of several Kathy. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Susie Esmond gave a great one. Zwie Bell, Jeff Ross. Uh, but it was really special to hear Frank talk about it. Frank, if you don't know, is an Emmy award winning writer of award shows and talk shows and roasts. This man has written for everybody from Bill Murray to Meryl Streep to Ben Stiller to Nathan Lane. He's written award shows. He's written roasts and talk shows. And uh, you've seen his stuff all over the TV. But for the last several years, he was the co-host and producer of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast. He came about as close as anyone ever has to taming and harnessing Gilbert's genius. And it is a special honor to welcome the great Frank Santapadre back to the show. What an intro. Jeez, John, thank you so much. Well, I've wanted I'll to have try you back. to live up to it. I've wanted to have you back ever since ever since the, the, the funeral, because I, I told you at the time, I thought you spoke so beautifully. And Thank you, pal. There is so many podcasts out there, and there's so few that have anything interesting or original to say that managed to be as entertaining as Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. And... Um, for those who don't know, who didn't have the pleasure of being at the funeral, can you tell us the story about how you came to be partners with Gilbert? Because it's it's a very, it's, a, very it's a very long story, but I'll give you the uh, I'll, I'll give you the abridged version. I I mean I, I he was one of the reasons that I went into comedy. I saw him at the tender age of nineteen at the comic strip here on the Upper East Side, a couple of blocks from where I am right now, 
And, uh, you know, I was in college. I was in the School of Visual Arts, uh, really as an art student. But I was adrift and not certain about anything. And I was a fan of comedy. I was a fan of Python and Saturday Night Live, of course, as, as were many people of my generation. But I saw this comic. I, I wasn't even aware of Gilbert. I saw him walk out on the stage, as I mentioned at the memorial service, and do this comedy that just that was uh, transformative yeah. for me. You know the bits. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Chico Marx and Psycho and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and the extraterrestrials. That, we got a lot of rooms. You want a room? We got a lot of rooms. Uh, we got plenty of rooms. And uh, <laughs> what was the other one I love? Chico Marx and A View from the Bridge. Hey, that's <laughs> a some bridge. But, uh, you know, he was he was speaking my language, although I was, again, young. And I, you know, you don't know yourself at 19, to let alone know yourself creatively or what you want to do, what you want to say to people. And I just thought, who is this person? You know, this and, and, and a unique performer, right? I mean, spending 15 minutes on stage with his eyes closed and yeah, and he would he would milk the audience and do all kinds of crazy stuff and, and say thank you for 20 minutes when he came out. It was just I became a super fan and I followed him all over New York. Um, I would I would seek him out wherever he was. And I, I mentioned at the service in the old days, Caroline's had a club at the seaport and he would That's do right. long sets. You remember those days? Yes, I do. He'd come out and do 90 minutes. I mean, before he became the person that didn't want to work and, and you know, prayed for a fire or a flood in the club, which is what he became. But in those days, he gave it. He was a rock star. And I just I was so in love with his comedy. And then over the years, as I started to get a little bit of a toehold in the business, we would keep running into each other. And he never bothered to learn my name. Yes. And so that's very touching, which he was famous for. Yes. Very touching. He'd see me. And if you were wearing a, a, a checkered shirt, he'd say, of course, I know you. you're the guy in the checkered shirt. But I would. I talked to him, you know, an hour after the Caroline sets and I would wait for him and then I, I would run into him at events and I run into him at book signings. And then I got a job on a show called Caroline's Comedy Hour. We brought him on as a guest star to play Robert Redford in an indecent proposal parody, <laughs> as you do. Yes. <laughs> you cast Gilbert Gottfried. And I wrote for him, which was a dream. And uh, he still didn't know who I was. Uh, keep running into him at parties. I ran him into a Nickelodeon party in L.A., this just went on for years. We even spent an entire day together at a nostalgia show, an autograph signing, which I've mentioned. Norman Fell was there and, and Larry Storch and Adam West. And <laughs> I saw him wandering down Ventura Boulevard at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I did a U-turn and I picked him up and he got in my car and we went to this thing and we spent 10 hours together. And the next time he saw me, he had no idea of who I was. Of course he didn't. Yes. Yeah. And this went on for decades. And then uh, when I was on the Joy Behar show... A show you're familiar with mm -hmm. at HLN. I was a writer there. John was a guest many, many times. He was a favorite panelist on that show. I got to know his wife who would accompany him. Gilbert was kind of our Tony Randall. He was the guy you call when everybody cancels or there's no, he'd show up, you know, for craft services. He'd show up at a moment's notice whenever anybody canceled. And I got to know his wife and yeah. through his wife, Dara, you know, uh, who wasn't on the spectrum like Gilbert, who wasn't in that, uh, who, who wasn't so idiosyncratic that he couldn't shake hands or make eye contact or learn names. I developed a friendship with her and she came to trust me and then asked me to write something for him, which was a debacle because he, you couldn't write for him. He wouldn't take material. And, and how do you write that anyway? Yeah. How do you write a bit about Ben, you know, extraterrestrials obsessed with Ben Gazzara? I mean, it, all of his comedy was so unique to him. Mm -hmm. 
But it led to many, many late night phone calls where I, I gave up the ghost. I realized a couple of weeks in, I'm not going to write for this guy and he's not going to pay me. <laughs> if I do, he's famously the cheapest man in show business, if not in America. So I just we just started making each other laugh and talking about the most obscure arcane topics and character actors and weird made for TV movies and forgotten stand ups. And through that, we would laugh just on the phone for hours. And these became marathon phone calls. And it was Dara who said, you have to do something with this. You have to package this. And I said, what? Who's going to listen to us talk about Vic Tabak for, for two hours? <laughs> or Larry there's, Hovis. There's, there's Frank Conniff, you know, Frank Conniff's right out Frank there. Frank Conniff, yeah. John Fugel sang. Yeah, I could list about eight guys. And uh, I didn't think there was anything in it. And podcasting was also in its infancy. It was 2014. And she said, let's do a podcast. And the next thing I knew, I was sitting in Gilbert's kitchen table interviewing Dick Cavett. So um, somehow, and it was a lark, but somehow 661 episodes later. Amazing. We managed to turn this thing into something. And, it, and to our surprise and delight, it became a show that people care about. It became a destination. I mean, and the we, guest list we, on we, your we show. Learned by default what podcasting was. But, but I mean, but the guest list on your show, it just yeah. goes to show like what was the perfect because Gilbert, I'll always say he's the funniest man I ever saw live. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I saw Co- I love what I, you I said outside Cosby. the service, too. Well, thank you. You said about um, Carlin and you'd seen Carlin live. You'd seen prior live and, and they and they had their gifts, certainly. And but but nobody pound for pound was funnier than Gilbert. I'll be honest. I stole most of what I said outside the service from my blue collar comedy tapes. Uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's why I talked about trucks on the lawn so much. But steal, um, steal from the best. Like Gilbert <laughs> was never going to host a talk show. Gilbert was never going to host. A, no, including Gilbert, the one we did together. Yes, he was never going to yeah. be an anchor. He was never going to be the guy who anchors a show. Like he could do USA up all night and be really, really funny. But sure. you sort of almost accidentally stumbled across a format. You know, the show wasn't just about having semi-obscure Hollywood legends. It was Gilbert. You're the glue yes. that held it all together. You glued Gilbert's mad genius to the talk show format. And, Thank and, you. And, you know, but it gave Gilbert a chance to do something he loved, which was talk about obscure bits of culture while still being as deeply offensive or inappropriate as he wanted to be. And it That's was right. the most unlikely formula. Did you know going into it that it was going to sort of work this way, or did the show evolve over the 600 episodes you made together? Evolved is a good word. I knew nothing. I didn't know what a podcast was. He didn't know what a podcast was. We had no engineer. We had no studio. Dara was recording us at the kitchen table with a little rig that she figured out by reading the Internet. I mean, it was, it was like the three of us with strings and, strings and, and cans, we had no idea what we were doing, um, but we both loved these people. And I, I you know, it, it does sound corny or, or trite in a way. You know, they say, do what you love or be guided by love. I mean, more than anything in my career, this was a passion project. This yes. was just let me sink my teeth into this. Let me sit here with Ken Berry and Robert Wagner and Larry Storch and, and, and Dick Cavan and Adam West and all of these people and talk to them because I, in, a, in a way I had waited a lifetime to do that. And so had he. So it was, it was true of, you know, we were two fanboys and it was real genuine hero worship and the love of it just kind of guided us through it. We had no idea what we were doing, no idea where we were going. But, but when you listen back to it, it was two guys, obviously, with crushes on these people. Yeah. You know, talent crushes on these people. And somehow that came through to the listener. The authenticity of that and the love of that 
came through, which you don't really, you can't really gauge that when you're in it. But, Only over the course of dozens of episodes that I go back and listen, and I realized, wow, this is there's something about this that's that's resonating with people. The, but the that's passion. why it was so brilliant because you could have like the Norman Fell or the Larry Storch one day, and it could be almost reverent and just having fun and talking about these, you know, the, these these cul-de-sacs of culture. And yeah. then, I mean, I I remember the Mario Cantone episode, which was just like so filthy and so wrong and so contemporarily funny on every possible level and i think the, the whole <laughs> we wound I up mean, doing eight with mario or nine you were, but you were the adult in the room that's why it I all tried. worked because you you were the anchor you were the host you were the, the producer you were the guy keeping it all together and you found a way to let gilbert indulge in his madness yeah. inside of a framework well that was also a gift too i mean i i i i, I quickly discovered the show was a valentine not only to these people we wanted to give the gavin mcclouds and the and the bernie copels and these people who were in their 70s and 80s and the phone's not ringing off the hook we wanted you know we wanted to give them a victory lap i've interviewed both of those guys i love it <laughs> great guys i love bernie yeah. just had a birthday yesterday you but there, yesterday, is, there yeah. are certain realities to to the business and 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 one's age you know there are certain realities of the business uh, we we wanted to we wanted to pay tribute to these guys. I started to realize uh, soon enough that the show was also turning into a Valentine for to Gilbert. That that by me kind of keeping him afloat or giving him direction or or structuring the show or setting up his bits, I knew his act back and forward, you know, backward and forward. So I was in the position. I was in, I guess, the unique position to to set him up or or wrangle him or guide him. Uh, in, in such a way, and uh, and I loved doing that because that was my payback to him. Yes, you know, and I did it six hundred and sixty something times. Um, did you? Did, and and no, I, no. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the show, but I'm proud of um, I, I'm proud that I was able to uh, repay a comedy hero every week. Did you have? A, did Did you have a favorite guest, you personally, Frank, or a favorite couple of guests who really stand out? Because I, uh, I love that the, I love that you're reissuing all the shows, yeah, and that they're still being re-released. And if you subscribe to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, you're still getting new stuff showing up in your inbox every week. Yeah, we do a show on Monday we call an encore, and we do a show on Thursday we call Amazing Colossal Classics because it's it's a big archive of shows, and I think the nature of um, there's almost a, there's such a disposable nature to the culture. You do a show. And it's done, and you take it down, and you put another show up. And and now that I'm digging into it, and I'm looking at these people that we interviewed, and Jimmy Webb, and Alan Arkin, and Alan Alda, and Joel Gray, and and uh, and Matthew Broderick, and Whoopi. I mean, and the, and the names just keep on coming. Uh, Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke. I I realize what we have, and I realize that if we keep putting them up, uh, uh, people will rediscover them or discover them for the first time. Exactly, and there's 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 great pleasure in that. Um, so yeah, we are we are still running them twice a week, and some of them I haven't gone back and listened to. I haven't, you know, it was it was really uh, we were really churning them out, John. 
you know, to, and it, at some point we were doing two 90 minute shows a week. And I didn't. Yeah, I, I also want to stress the quality is really low on these. I mean, folks, don't get the wrong idea. Like these. It was just an assembly line for these guys. They just cranked <laughs> the shit out. I mean, I, you know, it's it's touching that you what you tried to do. But we can be honest about uh, the overall level. Well, you um, know, th- th- we 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 signed this contract where we owed that we owed the podcast company and, and uh, later Sirius where the shows are now, you know, uh, two 90 minute shows a week. And the, the, uh, the effect of that was, like I said, you, you really had to move the product, you know, get it, get it written, get it prepped, get it recorded, get it edited and get it out the door. I didn't have the luxury of going back and listening to them. Now I'm listening to them. Um, and I'm, I'm realizing in all modesty, how good so many of them are. Yeah, they're really good. I, I, I have to ask how, the million dollar question for me is how did your relationship with Gilbert who took years to remember your name? I had the same experience. Yeah. How did your relationship evolve? Because I, I always found like, <laughs> I'm not there sure was, it evolved. <laughs> well, there was the public Gilbert and then you would get to know the private Gilbert, but it was still rather sure. inscrutable. And then there was Gilbert with his wife and kids, which was like a whole different level. But yeah. even then there was still, he, he wasn't made of the, I always called Gilbert a shaman. He wasn't made of the same material that most humans are. I agree. I don't know what that was about. I mean, some of it, some of it may have been, you know, psychological or chemical, but, but I, it may have, it may have been a factor in his genius and his brilliance and inscrutable is a perfect word. The word yeah. that you just reached for. You dropped out a little bit. Did you say inscrutable? I did say inscrutable. Yes, yeah, I, did. I mean, I can honestly, I was walking around before and I said, what am I going to say about Gilbert when John asks? And honestly, I, I can say after knowing him not well for the first 20 years, but knowing him uh, enough and then becoming his friend and his business partner and his co-host for eight years, there were times when I felt I still didn't know him. Yeah, he wasn't a guy to get on the phone and have deep philosophical conversations with. That's what I find so fascinating. I find I find your relationship with him so fascinating. It was, and 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 that isn't to say that he wasn't deep, because he because I, I obviously there was depth to the man, and if you look at his work, you can you can see there was there was depth there. It was a deep well, yes. but um, he was uh, he was idiot so idiosyncratic and so difficult to get close to. Um, I'm not really sure what that was about. I, I will, I will leave it to professionals. Um, but, but, uh, you know, but you, you come to love the guy because there, there was, <laughs> there was a lot there. There was a, there was a, even though he never paid for a cab <laughs> or picked up a check, never, <laughs> there could be a, there, there could be a sense like, are we really friends? Is this does does he know that I've paid for the last six dinners so that he should pay for the seventh <laughs> dinner or the eighth dinner? Is there is there any kind of a barter system here or any kind of an understanding? I mean, every know, comic will tell you. Yeah, you every comic will tell you that he did not play by those rules at all, uh, ever. He didn't, he didn't play by any kind of social rules. And 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 by the way, but but you know there was a, there was a. a a, a total sweetness about the guy. He never turned down a fan request. He never turned down an autograph. He never, never turned down a request to stop and pose for a picture. Mm-hmm. He was very, very humble about his success and his celebrity and, and very grounded, very down to earth. There was a lot to love about the guy. He, you just could not really have a conventional friendship with him. Am I making sense? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Um, well, you couldn't do a conventional show with him either which is what no. I love about the Amazing Colossal podcast. And I, I got to ask, and I've wanted to ask you this for a while, is it fair to say 
that the weirdest guest experience you had was Bella Lugosi's son? <laughs> One of them. <laughs> as long as who, we're telling tales out of school. Who was the weirdest? I, what was the weirdest guest experience you had of all of these characters on this maybe show? Maybe Gary Busey. Why was Gary? I never heard about Gary Busey. Why was he? So he was just he was just strange, you know, because Gilbert would not promote the show. Listen, I could do I could do six hours on 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 Gilbert and his shortcomings, which I say with love. He wouldn't promote the show and he wouldn't promote the show in advance. So he, so he would book a guest or he would very rarely did he book a guest. But but if he ran into somebody, maybe Dara would book them, but they would forget <laughs> to say there was a co-host. OK, so so Gary Busey came on. This was early in the run, <laughs> thinking he was just going to bullshit with Gilbert and trade barbs and trade shtick with Gilbert for an hour and a half. And who's this other guy? You know, I would get a lot of that in the early going, you know, ha- having to prove myself. Chevy gave me a bit of a hard time, too, but then I won him over. But uh, <laughs> Busey and Gilbert were in L.A. and I was sick. I was I, I, I was in New York and that was the first time that Gilbert and I did the show where we weren't in the same room together. And I had okay. I was just getting over the flu. And so I was no Zoom in those days. So it was all on the phone. And Gary wanted no part of the this idea of a co-host or this disembodied voice on the phone. <laughs> At one point, he said, "You sound like a man. You sound like a, gro- a, a grown man in a girl's dress, in a little girl's dress." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know quite what to do with that. And and to that point, because as I said, the show was a Valentine. The show was in the in service to the guests. It was a tribute. Always. You know, so Dick Cavett was appreciative and Adam West was appreciative and, and Robert Osborne was, appreci- you know, they got it. They got that this was a, this was a testimonial and a tribute. And here's a guy who doesn't get it at all and is and is just basically abusive. <laughs> and I, I wanted to just walk. I, I just wanted I don't to hang blame up you. the phone in the middle of the show and and see what it would be like if Gilbert could actually carry the rest of it. But I didn't. Pure, pure professionalism, I suppose. But that was that was rare. That was few and far between. Bela Lugosi Jr. Please. again was a guy. Uh, he's still around, and I don't want to disparage the man. You don't have to. Just tell us. Just tell us what happened. How about that? He's an attorney. He's a copyright attorney, and not an Gilbert, easy booking. Not an easy get, right? Well, <laughs> well, he is the he is the literally the son of Dracula. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Gilbert, <laughs> Gilbert. Gilbert tried an icebreaker joke about him being a lawyer, which was that, oh, you and your dad were both bloodsuckers. <laughs> and and it went downhill from there. He didn't buy in. He didn't know what we wanted. He didn't know why we wanted to talk to him. I later did research on the man and found out that his dad passed away so er- early in his life. I don't think he really knew him very well. Yeah. Yeah. And and here we were, that embarrassing thing where two, you know, uh, ridiculously obsessed fanboys know more about his father than he did yeah and i and i think that i think that's what happened and i think i think maybe gilbert lost him early on or maybe we were asking questions he couldn't answer but there was just there was just no chemistry whatsoever and again too that's a failing of 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 the fact that we didn't know what we were doing early on because it was a phone call and there's no there's no, you're not in the room. There's no way of to course, warm up. There's course. no way to ingratiate yeah. yourself with. It's all cold. With I get it. 
And in fairness to Bella Lugosi Jr., and I've never yes. begun a sentence with those words before, but in fairness yeah. to Bella Lugosi Jr. <laughs> oh, sure you have. This is after Martin Landau wins an Oscar for playing his dad in a Tim Burton Correct. movie that revealed maybe more than he was comfortable having revealed about his dad. Well, he was famously unhappy with the profanity. Yeah. He said, my father would never say a word like, uh, I, can, I can curse on serious. It's encouraged, XM. yes. Yeah. He, could, he wouldn't say cocksucker. Uh, or, 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 you know, or any of the other profanities that Larry and, and uh, Scott <laughs> wrote into that wonderful script. So I think, um, I think he was protective of, uh, of the legacy. Um, again, and I'm, 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 I'm basing that on interviews that I've read. It certainly didn't really come out <laughs> in our interview, which was about 20 minutes. Then we did a historically bad interview with Shecky Green where he was just uh he just screamed at gilbert and kept saying this is not the way to do this this is not the way for us to make the peace <laughs> we said, what peace because he and gilbert had had a fight at a friars club event where gilbert got on stage and was foul mouth gilbert and shecky mm -hmm. apparently took offense and he said famously i was in the navy and i didn't hear language like that so great which is hard to believe and he took a swing at at uh at freddie roman <laughs> and so we we thought <laughs> we thought okay we'll call Shecky and we'll do a Shecky interview and uh, and it was that was also a disaster. So there was some there was some misfires in the early going until we got our sea legs and figured out what the hell we were doing. And that's why it's so fun to listen to the show and why I'm so glad that they're being all reissued. It's a great thing to subscribe to and to get the episodes. I mean, especially at, at a time like this when everything is so politically dire. And by a time like this, I mean the last 10 years when everything is constantly yeah. doom and end of the world all the time. Well, I if, mean, you're, if you're worried about that and you're, and you're worried about political correctness, I will say that our show was definitely not politically correct. If you, wanted, no. if you, want, if you haven't heard the show and you want to dig up some of the 600, but you to know, me, the, the, the it, show, it is what you said, John. It was a perfect forum for him. Well, and, and it's, and, it's the marriage of, of reverence and punk at the same time, which is what we is tried. so incredible about it. Yeah, that too I, was an accident. My friend Drew Friedman, the the, uh, the wonderful cartoonist, called me one day and he said, "Here's why the show works. You're doing two different shows." Yes, and I said, "What does that mean?" And he said, "You're reverent. You're doing the old Cavett show. You're you're Cavett interviewing Orson Welles and enthralled by by John Huston and Betty Davis, and and Gilbert's doing." A shock jock show. Gilbert's doing Howard or Gilbert's doing, you know, yeah. not all, not always, but Gilbert was, you know, far from reverent. Uh, so, so it was the, it was the clash of those two things. I mm -hmm. think the two of us trying to do those two things simultaneously uh, that, that created that dynamic, which is, which is also why I won't try to make any attempts to continue it without him. I, I, Cause, I, and, cause and it's I, lightning, lightning in a bottle. Um, I, you know, and it's amazing. It's it's hard to believe that it's been two months since we lost him. Yeah. We we went and played the the version of the dating game. I mean, the newlywed game we did on this show with him and Dara uh -huh. against Jessica Curson and her wife. We we had a, a hilarious hour that we did with Gilbert and Frank and uh, and and David Feldman and me. Um, that was just shockingly funny, and it's amazing. Well, there how... are two two hilarious guys, David. And oh Frank. yeah. Oh yeah. You know, just yesterday. Or earlier today, there was this announcement that Amazon's uh, Alexa voice assistant is now going to be able to mimic any person's voice after hearing a short audio clip. Wow. And Gilbert's name was all over Twitter all day by people saying, I want my Alexa to have Gilbert Gottfried's voice. So that would it's be like, great. It would be a great a, way to remember him. 
Yeah, it's but it's amazing how he's still around us. He's still there. And I know our friend Dan Pasternak uh, has yeah. put together a Gilbert special that's going to air soon on Sirius XM. Yeah, you asked me if I had anything to promote, but I'll, I'll mention that. Yeah, uh, Dan Pasternak, the talented Dan Pasternak has put together this Gilbert special, which I, I, I guess is is called together from an interview that Gilbert did, a long interview Gilbert did with Dan in 2019. That's great. Um, um, and I think they're, yeah, this, I think they're calling it Gilbert Gottfried's Dead, which is a title <laughs> he would have loved. <laughs> This is a man that got up at George Carlin's street. Were you there when they dedicated the street? Uh, yes, I was. Carlin, and he got up, and Kelly was there, George's daughter, and Gilbert got up and said, I'm glad George Carlin's dead. Yeah, I mean, that's also yeah. that's also the last of a breed. I don't know how many comedians going forward are going to be that, are going to take those kind of risks. I'll never there forget may be some. The, the, the first time Gilbert came over to my house with his little children and my my child was speech delayed and he didn't talk much and he went to the door and he he saw Max and Lily and mm-hmm. he saw Gilbert and he said we, we were all shocked because he actually spoke and said hi my name's Henry what's your name and we couldn't believe it he never talked this way and wow. it was so moving for us and Gilbert without skipping a beat just leaned down looked at my child and said hi my name is cunt. <laughs> And I, I told that story. I opened with that story when I when I performed at the fundraiser for Gilbert's Kids School because of that Perfect. right That's in front him. of the kids said it in front of the kids. And it's all the genius, all the madness, all the deeply inappropriate magic that that he brought us. Mr. Frank Santapadre, well, I'm so grateful that you would join us to talk about thank this. Thank you, pal. You're, I, well, again, I'm, listen, I'm thrilled by the invitation and the answer I, to your question about favorite episodes, Bob Einstein. Yeah. And Neil Sedaka for two totally different reasons. And everyone can hear those archived. I got to tell you, man, I was raised very Catholic. I've heard a lot of eulogies. I know a lot of cats do a lot of eulogies. Your eulogy for Gilbert <laughs> tops. One, one of the best I've ever heard. That's very uh, what, kind of what you. Is I, the wrote, best... I wrote it the night before while I, with, with, without sleeping. But it was, well, you know, it was just from the heart. I didn't try to be funny. I really just wanted to pay tribute to my friend and, and, and share what I thought was unique about him. And so thanks for saying s- that. It means a lot. Please, everyone needs to subscribe. What's the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you, Mr. Santapadre? Do you have an evil socials? army? We have an evil army of the night. Yes, sir. Um, the best way, uh, you mean me personally? You personally. You're I'm on Twitter at Frank Santapadre, <laughs> and I'm on Facebook. And, and uh, if you love the show, um, you know, uh, check it out on Mondays and Tuesdays. It's, it's, uh, it's still on Apple, uh, Apple. Do they call it Apple music now? It's still called it used Apple, to be Apple iTunes. Yeah, or Apple podcast. It's on yeah. Spotify. It's, it's pretty much everywhere. We're on Sirius every Tuesday. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we're everywhere and there's, I've lost count. There's 660 something of them. And, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more proud of them than anything that I've done in my life. So. I, I hope that uh, I hope people will enjoy them for decades to come because we really did. Uh, it really was a labor of love. I know it's an overused term. Frank, I'm more proud of them than anything you've ever done in your life. And I Thank wasn't you, even John. there. Thank you. Uh, it, it honestly, about I'm, you. I'm so happy to have you here. I have, I've still been looking forward to this. And I think it's so great that a whole new audience is going to get a chance to hear these. I'm so happy to talk about it. Everyone needs to subscribe. Thank you, Mr. Santa Padre. Come on back anytime, will you? JF, thank you for asking me on. What a pleasure. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. 
It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Linda in Iowa, thank you so much for your patience. Happy Missy Elliott's birthday. Oh, hello there, John. Now, say, I just have to ask you, your last guest, was that Frank Conniff or was that a different Frank? That was a different Frank. That was uh, Frank Santa Padre. These are the Franks I know. There, I, I know many. Okay. And what yes. was the, what was the um, how do you get a hold of listening? I was intrigued by your whole conversation. You know what I love, John? I love What's your that? show because it's like I'm sitting with you and Frank. I thought I called him the son of Padre because I couldn't get his last name. <laughs> well, uh, Frank Santa Padre, and you can uh, just subscribe to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to tell you, John, um, this wonderful show last night with um, with the professor you were talking about, um, Freedom of Religion, and yes. um, we celebrated Juneteenth in my hometown. I just had to find out, share some things. In 1851, Iowa banned laws restricting interracial marriage. In 1855, men and women were admitted on an equal basis to the University of Iowa. Wow. In 1868, an African-American man sued the Muscatine Community School District because they wouldn't allow his child to go to school. And, and thus, the Iowa Supreme Court said that was against Iowa law. So... He got to, his little girl got to go to the school. And in 1934, the first mosque in all of North America was built in Cedar Rapids. So I just had to celebrate those milestones with you, John. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The first what was built in Cedar Rapids? Uh, mosque. Oh, the first mosque. My God, I was so and damn progressive. That's exactly right. And we're going to get back to being progressive, too. And well, I always say I, Iowa Iowa was the place that, that, you know, gave Barack Obama the lead in the presidential race in 2008. That's right. I'll never let you forget that, John. <laughs> also, but, Iowa, Iowa, future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk at the Starship Enterprise. That's exactly right, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just wanted to let you know that I'm really gotten involved with our Clinton Democratic Party locally, and it's just making a big difference. I just. You know, I know our democracy is by a thread, but when you're involved with people who are excited and energetic, and I was talking to Jed Ganser last night, he's running for the state Senate for our local district. And one of the things he said is that what people are really upset about, including Republicans, is the fact that so much that the voucher system is happening in Iowa. People do not want their public tax dollars going to private schools. I know, especially private schools that can uh, pervert the teachings of the religion and they can actually promote discrimination. But after what the Supreme Court did in Maine this week, 
I'm afraid that's the new normal. We will now see taxpayers. It's not just going to be that tax that that tax dollars can go to fund private schools that preach discrimination, but taxpayer dollars must go to private schools that preach discrimination. Yeah, that's really troubling, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. And Iowa, I know, has, has funded public education at very low levels for years. And school vouchers are just part of an ongoing movement nationwide to defund the public school system. I mean, 92% of Iowa students, I believe, attend public school. And yet you've got the GOP is only focused on the school voucher program because they want to disinvest in Iowa's public education system. Yes, you're absolutely right, John. But hey, I was right. still I was still the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, thank you. Well, we did have a um, our city council wasn't going to fly the Juneteenth flag. Well, all the organizers got involved and got upset about it, and the city council quickly changed their mind. So <laughs> that's great. That's great. Listen, I think it's so positive. I I understand, you know, older white people who are hesitant about Juneteenth and don't know anything about it. I mean, Steve King had to go be racist as he could, but at the end of the day, I mean, look, it's something that white people can celebrate as well. It's something that we can be proud of as a country. That you know, yeah, we're we're getting better. It's another sign of like, yes, even though it took so long for those poor people in Texas to know they were free, they found out. So let's celebrate America trying to be better, even if it takes a bloody civil war to do it. And let's also mock the racists like Steve King, because my God, Iowa, I'll I'll forgive your state for Steve King, but only because your state invented sliced bread. Oh, well, thank you, John. (laughs) Have a great, great night. I will. (laughs) Thanks, John. Bye now. Thank you, Linda. Bye bye. 